often put ourselves in a position of where we always say, should I focus on my technical skills or should I focus on my ability to communicate? And we tend to want to choose between one or the other. But the real answer is that if we want to have impact, if we want to amplify our impact, amplify our influence, then you need both. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers, experts in influence, or like today, people that are just able to pull apart the curtain to a hidden world of influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. In this episode, we journey from mastery to magic and then back again, decoding the magician's secrets with the incredible Vin Jiang. While it's fair to say that I sometimes do way too much research for my interviews, something I'm actually trying to work on at the moment, too much, and there's not enough room for the magic, pardon the pun, too little, and some of the great content gets missed. Anyway, problem for another day. I literally and happily spent hours plowing through videos online after someone first introduced me to Vin's work. Vin has this gift for translating the world of the magician into lessons on authority, perception and influence that we can all apply. He literally demystifies some of the illusions of magic in order to equip people to master attention, build trust and ask people to do the difficult and sometimes seemingly impossible task of suspending belief, which is vitally important when you think about it. If your role or life involves at any point having to get people to buy into a vision that may feel or seem impossible. Growing up in a refugee family, Vin's life and career path started out in what some would probably call a traditional trajectory. He studied accountancy. Only for him to decide to leave all of that behind in a crucial decision to pursue his love of magic. Now that fateful choice, and we will get into the moment he broke that news to his parents, it went not so well, as you can imagine. That fateful choice led him to risk it all, lose it all, and eventually through sheer grit and building his army of 500 soldiers, more on that later, go on to create multi-award winning magic shows, a much sought after speaking career at some of the world's most prestigious events, and an online magic school that currently has nearly 1 million, 1 million members. Today, he also commits a great deal of his time to running free community um, courses for those looking to improve their communication skills as a performer or as an influencer. Now, these are open to anyone wanting to tap into the knowledge he gained from literally thousands of hours developing his skills as a master communicator, because a huge part of being a magician is about being a master communicator. Now, the web link for those interested, and, and I cannot recommend it highly enough, literally, as I said, I got lost in these videos, is http colon slash slash www.stage.community. I apologize for the mess up of that link. If I did mess it up, it's in the show notes. If you want to go in, check it out. Again, cannot recommend it highly enough. I I first heard of Vin through his work on perception. 
how you can mold, train and expand your field of perception and the perception of your audience to create literally mind-blowing results, results that would not be possible unless you understood the world of perception and how it works. During this interview, I wanted to talk to him about that, but I also wanted to dive into a whole bunch of other links between the world of magic and the world of influence. And there are more than you would think, including how to build your army of 500 soldiers and why it is vital to mastering any form of influence. This st The story that he tells about this has become one of my favorite stories to retell. And after listening to it, you'll understand why the Inside Influence podcast team now refers to themselves literally as the army of 500. Why magic is just a problem you can't solve. Now that sounds like a throwaway line, I know, but it's not when you consider that it's actually the key to making anything you do have a magical impact. How to build and cultivate immediate authority and why he committed seven years just to training his voice. The keys the magical community have known for years when it comes to building, harnessing and maintaining trust. And again, trust is huge in the magical community. If you imagine how much trust you have to cultivate to have people allow you to fool them. Think about it. It's a crazy, fascinating world of trust. Why everybody already has the information they need to be a compelling communicator and the one reason we don't apply it. And why two hours for every two minutes has become his golden rule for communications mastery. So, in the words of all the great magicians, sit back, suspend belief, be open to other worlds that might be possible. All right, I suck at being a magician. Just be ready to have your skills and perceptions transformed by the incredible Vin Jiang. Welcome to the podcast, Vin Jiang. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're, you're so welcome. I was just I was just saying to Vin off air that I don't actually think I've done as much prep for a podcast before as I have for this one because your videos, I just kept, I'd be like, all right, just this is the last one I'm going to watch. It's the last one I'm going to watch. <laughs> I kept going for hours, hours and hours. I, I kind of feel scared now. I feel <laughs> like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how this is going to go after this much research. <laughs> I know. It's like I know way more about you than you know about me. Yeah, exactly, right? All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off the way that I always kick off this podcast, and that is the question, do you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert? And brief background behind that question, it's simply because it's a bit of a social experiment of mine. It's simply because I feel like there is a story out there that I will influence, I will step up and be seen, I will um, speak my speak my truths when I consider myself to be an extrovert. Only extroverts are able to do that. And I'm an introvert, so I can't do it. Right, so, interesting. And especially as a performer, how do you consider yourself? Oh, see, that's... I feel like saying naturally i'm an extrovert however my career has made me more of an introvert wow. which is really kind of weird because most people would say I, the opposite love, yeah but I, I love people naturally i love spending time with people but then 
when you are overexposed to people, speaking to thousands of people every week and, and meeting all these different people, I kind of want to go back into my shell after that. It's so weird. And I'm still trying to understand what that is for me. It, yeah, I'm just thinking it is, it, for most people, it is the opposite. Most people feel a little bit naturally introverted and because of their work, they have to become more of an extrovert. But you're saying the opposite, that your yeah. extrovertism is almost exhausted by the work that you choose to do. Yes, in that I think there's a healthy amount of it. And then after that, there's some kind of balance that occurs. Because I think both are healthy, both are important to the point where, I, and, and before when I was an extrovert, I, I, I would have still alone time, but then I couldn't wait to spend time with people. Whereas now I find myself, I can't wait for the alone time. And that's where you recharge. That's where I recharge and that's where I, 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 I search for the clarity because when you're around so many people all the time, you lose clarity. And for me, more than ever, clarity is very important for me at the moment in my life. I know that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but it's kind of, what I'm going through, which is quite strange. And I never said it out loud before. Do you know, there's, there's literally, I've had such a rainbow response to that question. It's fascinating. It's a really, yeah. I find it fascinating. It's my own personal little geek out at the moment. But, but what, I, what I will say is that your, your hypothesis of that, it, it, is, it is the extrovert who's able to radiate their, their message with more clarity. I believe that is true because that's when I'm most effective. I find that when I'm being an extrovert out there, that's when I'm creating more impact. I'm having more influence. Whereas, again, when I when I kind of pull away, that's when that's when it's just me. When it's about me, so I don't know. And that's when the clarity comes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me. Let's start. Let's start by going backwards. Tell me about the moment or the time when you first discovered magic. My parents used to, my parents are really savvy. They're very smart. They're very frugal. So at the end of school, my one parent, my dad's got seven brothers, so that all these different aunties, one of the aunties would come pick us up from school and then take us to the school library. No, not the school library, the local library. And we would stay at the local library from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. because it was essentially free childcare. Right. They, they didn't want to pay the extra after school fee to have the kids stay at school till six. So they dropped us off at the library where they knew we were safe. A whole bunch of us kids were there. And again, they got three extra hours of work in, which, which I thought, wow, what a, what, a, what a great hack. And then at the library, I still remember, we always used to play card games. And it was this one librarian one day that came along and, and handed this book over and said, hey, kids, why don't, why don't you try something different? And it was the Australian's Hand Guide a magician's hand guide. And that was my first magic book I was ever given at the age of 12. I stole that book thereafter. And that was now it's still my book. I still literally have it on my shelf here in California. And that book has forever changed my life because that's when I was like, wow, what is this thing? Like it just blew my mind how I was able to able to fraudulently fraudulently get other people's attention. I thought this is fantastic. I love that your parents dropping you off at the library to keep you in the straight and narrow actually led to you stealing a book. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it led us to a lot, of, a lot of bad things. But that was, that was my first 
kind of experience with magic and I was like, this is it. I, 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 I well, be, and I, I was addicted to it, not because I love the magic craft itself. I was addicted to it because I never got attention as a kid. Mum and dad were always working, no fault of their own, obviously, but I, I never got attention from my peers at school either. I was a bit of the loser at school, which was fine because I felt like it helped me learn many other skills that if I was a winner, I wouldn't have learned. And magic helped me get attention. Magic helped me build self-confidence because I'd do a trick, kids at school would be like, wow, you're amazing. And then, you know, in the beginning, you're like, oh, okay, am I? And then after a while, they keep saying you're amazing. And then in the end, you're like, yes, I am. That's kind of what happened. Fake it until you become it. Yeah, really, it was. And it was, it worked really well for trying to get a girlfriend too when you're in high school, which was lovely. <laughs> And so you you studied magic kind of informally from what I can what I can understand and and then your path shifted again I'm sure onto what would be considered more the straight and narrow which was you went to study accounting. Yeah, yeah. And then there was this moment which I'd love you I'd love you to to tell this moment where you had to tell your parents, who had obviously done an extremely incredible job working very hard to get you on this path, you had to tell them that you were you were pivoting. Yeah, well, there's a story there as well, Julie, that I don't often share because when I have a bit more time, I often try to give people the full picture. Would you like me to share that? I would love that. Okay. I So I was doing accounting and as a part of the university program, you have to do work experience. I did work experience at one of the local accounting firms, one of the big four. And one afternoon, I, I remember one of the partners coming out of his office and he rarely ever came out of his office and he came out and he said, he sat down and he said to me, Vin, in six months time, two things will happen. Uh, I'm going to fire you uh, or you're going to quit. And I, yeah, I asked him, I was like, why? I, I thought I was doing a good job. And, and then he shared with me, he goes, Every day after work, Vin, you always spend all of your time performing for all of my accountants, which is fine. But the thing is, you're in the wrong career path. You're in the wrong career path. And then he showed me his hands. And I remember his hands were, he had um, some kind of arthritis, I'm not sure, but he caused his hand to curl. And he told me, Vin, I love piano. I've loved it since I was young. I loved it in my teenage years. And I gave it up when I was about 27 to build this firm. I have not touched a piano in over 30 years and I can never play the piano in the same way ever again. My deepest regret in life is this. I don't want you to go through the same thing. And my, obviously my reply was, well, can you come home and talk to my dad? <laughs> so, so he actually did. He actually did. He, he came back and had a dinner conversation with my dad and that, was when my dad saw a different side of me. It's funny, often we spend a lot of time with our children and we, we have a certain perspective of them. And sometimes that perspective can be ingrained in the way we view them. And it wasn't, I remember, until my dad had a conversation with one of the accounting firm partners that my dad saw a whole different side to who I was. And it took him uncovering that because it's been there the entire time, but it took him to uncover that before my dad really truly saw my ability in that space and it's not a you know as far as a conversation goes when your son's studying accounting and then I think from memory what you wanted to do was sell you had an, they had purchased an investment property for you 
to set yeah, you so up? Yeah, so my, my yeah, my dad purchased my my first property and there was about $150,000 worth of equity in there and I wanted to sell it to use $100,000 of the equity to build an online business and and also on top of that I wanted to quit university. So you can imagine my dad obviously, you know, he, to him is like what the hell you want for me to Harry Potter? So he freaked out. He obviously freaked out. <laughs> so you wanted to build and an online school for, for, for magic? I did. Well, well, because I've always, in my life, I've always wanted to align my passions with my entrepreneurship. I always wanted to do something I loved and still be able to monetize it. And so that was the, 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 the kind of attraction at that point, because most people were learning magic from books still and DVDs. There was no real strong online platform to learn magic. And I thought, this is a great opportunity to innovate an age-old industry. And I just thought it was so exciting to be able to do it. So jumped straight into it, quit university, and uh, started the online business and sold the un- <laughs> sold the investment property and lost a ton of money. Well, I was just about to, I was about to go there. So obviously, you know, they backed you. They, kudos to them, they backed you. And I was going to fast forward. So fast forward, you're $500,000 in debt in your early 20s and there's this moment where you know you've you've taken a risk you've jumped you feel like you've landed on your head and you're sitting in the garage and your dad once again your dad comes in to talk to you yeah and I mean I think this is easily one of the most powerful lessons in my life I remember my dad coming in and dad my dad is my mama and my dad are I'm so lucky that they just haven't given up on me and thrown me into the rubbish bin. But my dad comes into the garage and he says to me, he goes, come on, boy, stand up. I said, dad, not really in the mood for it. Just lost a whole bunch of money. Could have bought two Ferraris. Don't really want to stand up. And he goes, just get up, you idiot. And he says to me, do you know why you've failed? And I said, I don't know, dad, maybe you can tell me. And my dad speaks in metaphors a lot. So he says, you've lost and you fail time and time again because you have no damn soldiers in your army. And I was like, Dad, I don't have time for this Confucius crap. Can you give it to me straight? And he, he, he has a way with words. But then he, he shared with me the most profound thing. My dad says, son, every single time you read a book, the author now stands behind you in an army that's willing to fight for any battle that you call him or her to fight for. You've read 50 books, no more than this in your life. You've got 50 soldiers in your army. Every single battle that you're entering right now requires an army of more than 500. And I'll never forget this. My dad, we weren't, we're never, we haven't been a wealthy family before that. And dad pulls out a credit card and he says, you know, mom doesn't know about this credit card. So make sure this is the last straw I can give you. Build your damn army. And, and Julie, I, I've made it one of my daily things that I do every day is that I read now. And I built an army. And I attribute a lot of my success to the number of books that I've read. I attribute a lot of my success. I believe there's a correlation between education and success. And I mean self-education, not kind of forced education that's shoved down our throats, but rather self-education. I, do you know, I just get goosebumps listening to you tell that story again. I love that. And it's, it resonates with me because that's the reason I do this podcast. You know, that mm. is the driving force behind this podcast. It's building an army. Yeah. But it's for me more so. I mean, I hope that other people listen, but it's for me more <laughs> so. Me more so than anybody else. And, and I hope the listeners really, 
you know, to all of you who are listening now, I really hope that sinks in because no matter what problem it is that you're having in your business, in your family life, there's a book that has been written out there that has the solution to that problem. So many of us now live in a world where we don't want to look for the answers. We want to be given the answers. Every single person who asks me any question, that's the story I share with them because I'm in no position to answer some of the questions that people ask me. And I don't think it's responsible for me to try to answer everybody's question, but rather if I can share with them that the answer is just go on Amazon, go on Amazon and search that topic and, and look for the one with the most rated stars, buy 10 books in that area and your problem is solved. That, that's what I did with my speaking career as well. Same thing. Wanted to build a speaking career, bought 30 books online, studied them in six months, started to build a career. So I think everything you want to do is not a problem of capability. It's a problem because there's a knowledge gap. It's a problem because you don't have enough soldiers. Build, build the right army composition. There's no opportunity you cannot seize. There's no problem you cannot solve. Well, with that, from that piece of advice, you you went on, and I'm, I'm not going to go too much into what you did because I'm, I'm more interested in what you learnt by doing what you did, but you went on to create award-winning shows. I think there was one show that you did that won... Um, best show three years in a row you built eventually a successful online magic school of nine that has 950,000 members now which is by itself just an incredible story of success but along with that you also did a talk and it was this talk that that initially kind of caught my eye you did a talk called creating the most influential you a ted talk yeah now what caught my attention what what got me was that not many people would make the jump between magic and influence. Mm. So walk me through the core idea behind that. What made you make that jump? What's behind it? Well, the TED talk that you're talking about is, is really me sharing with people how magicians improve their ability to, well, how magicians improve their showmanship. So there's a, there's a formula behind how magicians work on their acts. And in magic, there's two areas. One area is sleight of hand, and the other area is what we call showmanship. So essentially, showmanship is just a fancy word for communication skills. And sleight of hand is really what you would call in the professional world, just technical ability. And the thinking behind it is that magicians who spend all of their time on their technical skill and their technical knowledge, they don't achieve success. It is the magicians that spend time on the technical skills and the technical knowledge, and then also their showmanship, their communication skills, they are the magicians that go on to achieve a lot of success in their lives. And during that TED talk, I gave people the formula on how to build better communication skills, because the same thing applies in the world of professionals. We spend all of our time going through university, building our ability technically, and we may do one presentation through the year that we dread and then do horribly and then never revisit ever again. And then we're thrown into the workforce, technically prepared, but communication-wise, we're not ready. And then even in our jobs, we're not taught how to use our voice. And our voice is the most influential instrument that has ever existed. It's the most influential instrument that you own. And we haven't been taught how to use it. So again, that TED Talk is how magicians use their voice to control attention to the point where they can fool you. And it's just showing the, yeah, showing the power of that. And, but then using that formula to, well, how, 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 how can everyday people use it in their lives as well? I'm going to dive into that a little bit more with you. But the, something that you said that I thought, okay, this is just, 
this is the foundation of understanding that link between magic and influence. You said, what is magic? Magic is just a problem you cannot solve. Mm. And it struck me, I was like, that's what most of us are doing, right? We're, we're trying to create engagement, impact and value behind solving a problem that other people can't. That's all any of us are doing, really. Yeah. So if that's the basis of magic and that's the basis of what most of us are attempting in our daily lives, then what elevates magic, as you said, is just your ability to communicate at an extraordinary level. Truly what it is. And you magic, magic is such a great metaphor for it simply because if you watch the magic trick without showmanship, watch the way people react. And I, that, that's what I normally do on stage when I speak is – and I'm talking about communication is I show them a trick with no showmanship whatsoever, just the technical ability. And then people see that. And then I go, okay, now I'm going to do the same thing with showmanship. It's a vastly different experience, a completely different experience. And it just goes to show again, that a lot of people don't realize that they think that the main goal is just to solve the problem, but it's more than that. It's the showmanship that brings the magic to life. It's your ability to communicate that's going to bring your solution to life. I hear that quite a lot, which is, well, I know the information. Surely that's enough. Surely it's enough just to know the information as opposed to be able to communicate it in a compelling way. And it's, it's not enough. And especially not now in the age of Netflix, the age of diminished hmm. attention spans and the age of the storyteller it's it's no longer an, it's it's not technical ability that will get you from a to b it's not technical ability that will win you the attention that you need to be held in the esteem that you need to be held in in order to make the impact that you want to make look i agree and, and i i want to add to that as well that we we often put ourselves in a position of where we always say should i focus on my technical skills or should i focus on my ability to communicate and we tend to want to choose between one or the other but the real answer is both the real answer is that if we want to have impact, if we want to amplify our impact, amplify our influence, then you need both. It's it's not a question of one or the other, it's both. And I just want to make sure that's super clear because a magician who has great showmanship but no ability in the technical realm is not a very impressive magician. Same thing with a professional. You may be a great showman. You may be a great kind of a great entertainer or a great communicator and connect with people really well. But if you don't have strong a strong foundation in your technical ability, then you don't really solve the problem. Yeah, I love that. So let's talk, I want to talk about trust. So again, it just it watching watching some of your videos and seeing you in action, it struck me that you know a magician needs to be an expert in trust, which is is fascinating to me because you are in in effect your entire job description is to fool people with their knowledge. <laughs> now that doesn't that's not a recipe for trust usually. Yeah. Yet, however, it's it's the main thing that you need to build and you need to build it quickly. What, what, what tools do a, does a magician use to, to build, maintain and, and harness trust from the get-go? You know, there's one, there's one quote that I think of when you say that, and it's that magicians are honest about how dishonest they are. So we go into an engagement with you, you know we're going to fool you, and we, are, we do just that. So there's kind of this weird agreement that we already have and the agreement is based on the fact that people enjoy being fooled it, it's weird but people actually want magic to be real they, they they in a way they want to experience a sense of wonder and 
one of the very rare ways to be able to experience wonder these days is through a magician in person, believe it or not. And I find that there's kind of that weird agreement that we tend to have. And, and people trust magicians because we're honest about it. We're not telling you that it's a supernatural power that we have. You know it's entertainment. The moment you set foot in a theater with us, you, you know that this is, it's kind of a space where we've all accepted magicians can lie in. Do you know what I mean? It's, I've thought about this a lot because I always used to be hung up about it, like thinking, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this in a show. I can't do that in a show. But essentially, there is an agreement that we have that when you set foot into my show, you've given me permission to lie to you. It, it's almost, and I think, again, it's something that all of us have to do. If we're going to try and compel anybody, change anybody's mind, spread any kind of an idea, you have to be able to ask people to suspend belief. Suspend everything that you think that you know, the way that you think this is going to end, the stories that you have right now about what's possible. Suspend it and just follow me on a journey. Yeah, I, I think you've just stated that so wonderfully that I'm totally going to borrow the way you just explained it. That's lovely. I really like it. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah. And so what's the... What, what, what is that key? I, I just, and you might not have anything that's, that's that simple, but is there something that you do when you hit the stage for the first time? Because again, I've seen you, you hit the stage for the first time. There's thousands of people there. Is there something that you do, a way that you speak, a, a phrase that you use, how you hold yourself that invites the audience in to trust you, to suspend their belief? I always have to take time to I always, I always like to be alone before I go on stage. That's kind of one thing that I, I always ask for if I can. And I, I never want to come across as a bit of a jerk or anything, but I always say, Hey, look, I just, I just really need time alone because I, I think of it this way is that I'm about to go on stage. I just, I literally just spoke in an event in Asia where there was 17,000 people, for example. And then I, I think to myself, I'm about to go out there and I'm about to, I'm literally taking away 17,000 hours of people's time because it's one hour times 17,000. And again, this is where maybe the magic comes into it as well, where I say that, and I just believe that I suspend all disbelief and I suspend all self doubt and say, within this one hour keynote, I have three core pieces of message, uh, three core messages that if I don't deliver to this audience, there's potential in the future that's going to die. And I must deliver it. Because again, it's not about me. When I go on stage, I spend four minutes introducing who I am. And then I tell them that it's not me that's amazing. It's the lessons that's amazing. So don't put me on the pedestal. Let's put the lessons on the pedestal. And then by focusing on the lessons that's going to add value to them, I literally kind of put myself in that state where seven, you're about to take 17,000 hours away. And, and if you don't do this well and you don't serve the message correctly, people's potential is going to die. And it kind of makes it really dramatic for me in the back and that, level of drama really helps me. I don't know if it helps others or makes them overwhelmed, but it really pushes me to say I have a duty and I must, I must bring the best version of myself. I was gonna say, I can, I can totally see how, if you can prevent that way of thinking from overwhelming you, the, how it would amplify you. And that level of gravity. That, yeah, and, and on top of that, I listen to orchestral war music, which really helps the motivation. It's kind of crazy, but I really do. <laughs> I do not know what that is, but I will be checking it out. Oh, you don't know what that is? No. You literally go on YouTube and just write um, orchestral war music or inspirational instrumentals. And because this is the thing, people don't realize this. And this is an interesting topic in that when you think about influence, 
Well, just let, let me ask you this, Julie. I could play a song on the piano and you would feel a certain emotion. So I could play a song on the piano and you go, oh, I feel inspired. And I could play another song on the piano and you might say, oh, I feel sad. And then I could play another song on the piano and you go, oh, that sounds very intense. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds very scary. And then my question would be, well, Julie, there are no words to this song. How do you know how to feel? Music influences our emotions and it's universal. And this again comes back to communication skills. What people don't realize is when you speak, there's a melody that you're speaking to. And is that melody a melody of inspiration or is it a melody of doom and gloom? Is it a melody of sadness? What songs are you playing? Because the notes that you're using and the progression of the notes that you're using, that influences people and moves people. Does that make sense? It, it makes perfect sense. It's, it's yeah. reminding me of, I interviewed a lady called Nancy Duarte, who's just incredible. She's the, the brains behind Al Gore's and Inconvenient Truth. And she has done these amazing experiments where she maps presentations. So the exactly what you're talking about, the, the, the energy profile or the sound profile of the world's most groundbreaking speeches, speeches mm-hmm. that change the world against mm. some of the world's most groundbreaking music. Hmm. And she found that the pattern is the same. The pattern is always the same. It's slow and then it builds and then it's intense, yeah. but then you release the tension and then it's slow yes. and then it builds again. And there is, it, do you know, if I, if I had the time, or maybe I will eventually, to, to look at what, okay, what is the ideal? Like what is the, if every single thing that has ever influenced or inspired us to its maximum capacity follows the same pattern what is that pattern hmm. i think you're i think you're on the journey of discovering what that is right through doing what you're doing now well i will if the time comes i will certainly i'll give you a call you can, you can <laughs> so let's let's keep moving because essentially what we're talking about here is storytelling and it became clear to me watching your journey or looking at your journey that you very quickly realized that magic was your metaphor, as you've said. Magic was the vehicle that would get people's attention. But inside that vehicle, what was more important was the message, the message that it mm. could bring. How did that shift how you perform? Well, when I first started, I used to just do a magic trick and then a random point. And I remember my first speaking engagement ever was for a, a, Sydney, a Sydney building association. And when I got off the stage, the first thing the CEO came up to me and said was, have you done this before? And it shattered me. I was like, oh no, I gave them the money back and everything and said, you know, I don't deserve this. And the only reason I kept speaking was the CEO two weeks later sent me a two page email on how I could improve. Otherwise I was ready to give up. I was like, yep, it's not for me. I'll stick to the online stuff. But it really, the reason I use the magic when I speak is because I realize that in the world we live in today, we must learn how to make the medicine taste good. And I, I have a couple of favorite scientists that I follow. And what I realized was the secret behind their success was that they were able to make the medicine taste good. They were able to make science fun. Then that, that, that's kind of the formula I took away when I, when I learned that, Hey, there were, there were some core messages here that people need to hear, but we need to make that medicine taste good. And that's, that's when I spent years kind of finding the connection between the world of magic and the common threads between magic and the common threads in life. I had to find where they intersected. So that, that took a long time to work out. It wasn't kind of clear as daylight. It took a long time to find those common threads. 
And that's where you, it's, you know, when you're watching a magician, I think it's, they're on stage, it's all about them. Obviously, any performer, you know, it's all about their mastery. Whereas if you can do what you have done, which is find the common thread between what you had to learn to master that and what somebody else could use in their own life, even not wanting to be a magician, then suddenly you've Mm. made your performance, your story, my story, my performance, my journey. And that's a whole different level of engagement. And it took a long time to work out. It took just a long time to work out. And I, I hope it inspires others too, that if you've got a craft and if you've got a hobby or if you've got something you love, that you could also use that as your message, your, your vehicle for influence. You know, when, when you can use the vehicle that you love most, that's where you are most influential. You, you also said that your journey actually began to get traction because obviously it was a long journey between when you started and when it really got traction. After you read a quote by Robert Houdin, and I'm hoping I'm saying that right, yeah. and, and where he said, a magician is just an actor playing the part of a magician. Now, what does that, obviously that meant something to you. I read it for the first time and I was like, hang on, let me just, let me read that yeah. again. <laughs> what, what did, I mean, if that changed everything for you, what, what did it mean to you? Well, first of all, I read that as a magician. So it changed everything for me as a magician because I realized that to be a great magician, first you have to take the ego out of it because it's very easy to perform magic and then people go, wow, you're so amazing for you to then think it's truly about you. Whereas magicians can very easily lean on magic because magic itself, the, the techniques and the, the, the way magic is performed, the secrets are so well kept that even if you weren't that good of a magician, you could perform it and people will say, wow, you're amazing. So first of all, remember that you're just an actor playing the part of a magician, which really that shows me that just remember, take the ego out of it. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that I had to go and I had to go do theater because I then realized that the body is an instrument as well as the voice. And I didn't know how to use my body and how you use your body impacts how you sound. It's a one connected big instrument. So then that, that really changed my career because then that sent me off to study theater. So then I studied theater for a couple of years and that changed the way I communicated. It completely changed the way I saw the world. Because when you're in theater, you're doing all these different things to learn about emotions and you're learning about how to, to speak with, with not just words and using words as our one modality to communicate, but then using the elongating our vowels and learning how to inject feeling into those words. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. I, I've never looked at, I've never looked at life like this before, and, and it, it just changed my whole perspective. And it was through that quote because it gave me a hint that to become a great magician, I need to learn the traits of a great actor, which that's what led me to theatre school. Which, which again, that has profoundly changed my life. And it was understanding that difference between performance and presentation, which I think is two words that don't get treated differently enough. There's, yeah. there's the performance side of things and then there's the presentation side of things. The presentation is more the technical ability, the information you have to convey. The performance mm-hmm. is how you attach me emotionally to that so it's, that I remember it's how we, it. It's how we connect. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. A, a big part of that, you've mentioned it a couple of times and I've avoided going into it because there's, there's some specific questions I have around it, is how people use their voice. I know that's huge. That has been huge for you. And you've said you're, you know, people perceive who you are via your voice. 
so in the in the context of magic is that about authority is that about holding and keeping authority yeah holding and keeping attention holding keeping and controlling attention in magic it's a lot of it is about attention and directing attention and you do that with your voice absolutely you do it with your voice and your body however if the magician doesn't seem like he or she is in control they will not be able to control attention I mean, some of the things that as magicians we can get away with, we can do it in front of an audience of hundreds, thousands of people. They will not see it. It's simply because you're directing them not only with your voice, but with your body. And when you use it combined, you can get away with anything. It's quite surreal when you're a magician and you realize what you can do with, with just your ability to control attention. It's crazy. And you said it took you seven years to learn the foundations of how to use your voice, but you can teach. I heard you say you can teach it in moments. So I'm going to going to call on you now sure give us give us a blow by blow of starting to use your voice with more authority okay so look i i think what i what i normally do when i do this as well is people often have an illusion in their minds that when they see a great communicator on stage they go oh wow i could never do that and that's not true that's you just trying to have an excuse so that you don't have to try and then so you can use the complexity as an excuse to reason with yourself and say, that's what I'm not going to try because I could never do that. It's not true. It's just because you don't know how. It's like people who see a magic trick. I could show you a magic trick. You're like, I have no idea how it's done. That's true in that moment. But then I could teach you in about three minutes. And then after that, you can perform the trick. Something that felt impossible a moment ago can be possible within three minutes. Same thing when it comes to communication. If you distill the lessons down, there's four, five core foundations. And the first thing is your rate of speech. People don't think about this. But what's your default rate of speech? Most people don't even change their rate of speech. And again, what happens if me and you now just stick to this rate of speech? Think about what happens to our audience members who are listening right now. They're starting to feel a bit of pain in the back of their left head, getting boring. This is, I'm dying. So we have to vary our rate of speech. People don't vary it. That's the first thing you've got to focus on. The second thing is volume. Volume is so important, paired with rate, because volume shows vitality it shows confidence it shows authority most people speak at a volume that is way too quiet way too quiet and we live in a world now where it's over polite it's way too polite that the only thing that people will ever critique you on on your voice is oh hey you're, you're speaking a bit too fast no one will even tell you to speak a bit louder so again i encourage people you must vary your volume there are times when you've got to be loud not afraid to be loud. It's like now I'm, I'm not shy to be loud. We have a wonderful instrument and why don't we use it? Again, so volume, we must vary our volume. The next thing I, I feel like this is probably the most important is tonality, which is simply you need to feel your words. So many people speak and they have throw no emotion into their words. They just say the words and then that's it. Whereas you need to feel the words. Again, feeling them means elongating the vowel and allowing emotion to seep into the words that we speak. Like I get two types of audience members. One that will come up to me and say, oh, hey, Vin, that, that was an amazing keynote. Thank you so much for delivering the keynote. That, that kind of person number one. Person number two comes along and says, Vin, that was incredible. Easily one of the best keynotes I've seen. And I just pose to the audience who they're listening right now, was person number one or person two more effective at showing their appreciation. Person number two is, this is the sad part. I know in my heart, person number one felt more appreciative. They just weren't able to communicate it across because they didn't feel their words. 
And then the fourth one is pitch. Make sure we vary our pitch. Most of us can hit at least four different notes, no problems, without any singing training. Yet we tend to just stick to one note. And when we get really excited, we go to another and then we just go back down to another as well. We, we don't really vary the pitch. Whereas remember what we spoke about before, it is in the progression of different pitches that causes people to feel. Because I can play a certain pitch and you'll feel a certain emotion. And it's, and it's not even the words that's making you feel it. Because if I changed up my tone and I spoke a little bit more like this, people just get this overwhelming feeling of sadness. And again, it's us learning how to play with our pitch and vary, vary the pitch. And the final one is pause. That right there, we need to do more of that. Most people who don't communicate often and, and really dissect the communication use the words um and are uh, way too much and have no idea how the non-words and fillers take away from our authority, our credibility. It takes away your self-confidence. When you pause more, you get rid of those non-words, you get rid of the fillers. When you watch me on stage, these are the five things that I do. You know, I have a theory about I have a theory about ums where an um is just simply your brain trying to take a moment to think about what it's going to say next. That's all it is. And so you're right, I hadn't thought about it that way, but if you start consciously creating pauses, then your brain will, could possibly just no longer need the ums anymore. Yeah. You're completely right and and this is what this is what I'm 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 very passionate about. So I I have an online community. We we call it uh, the stage community where I, I get people literally to do a live video every single fortnight. So we've got hundreds of members in the community and I push everyone in this community, you must do a live video every two weeks, otherwise you get kicked out of the group. And it's incredible how doing a three minute live video challenge once a fortnight allows you to practice all these foundations because we don't have a stage where we can practice these foundations. However, with technology now, doing a live video creates a very similar pressure because now you're broadcasting, there could be people watching and it's live, you have no time to fix errors, you can't edit. And just by doing that, pushing people in the community to, to do these live videos, the amount of them that have been able to stop the ums and ahs, that alone is gonna dramatically improve your life. Just because, when you speak, you'll speak with so much more clarity and authority and impact and influence. Yes. It's crazy, isn't it, to think that something just so simple as so simple and so complex as, as removing your ums. Mm. And you're right, though. It takes a, an uncertain communicator, someone who sounds like an uncertain communicator. It takes them up to authority level, just that one tiny shift. Mm -hmm. Into introducing pauses and removing your arms. And injecting a bit more volume all of a sudden breathes life into your voice. Something that you said, which I think is pretty much just the bottom, the bottom line when it comes to communication skills. So you can, you can only ever be as good as you can communicate. Your communication skills are the bridge between what you know and the rest of the world. Mm. Which is so yeah. true. I feel that more than ever when I speak to people in the technical realm. And, and it's simply because, and I speak to a lot of engineers, sometimes I speak to a lot of doctors, et cetera, 
very technical professionals. And, and what I find is that they have so much value inside them. They are able to heal the world in, and fix the world in so many different ways, yet they're not able to do so simply because they haven't trained their instrument. And as a result, all of the visions that they may have inside, all of the talent and skills that they've built, it doesn't see the light of day. And then you see people, and they always get upset because there are these people who aren't as smart as them, people who aren't as talented as them, be able to take all the credit and take all the all the fame. And, and I said, it's, instead of blaming those people, how about you acquire the skill that they have? How about you acquire, how, how about you learn how to play your instrument better? Because I, I believe it's these, these technical people that are going to change the world. Because showmen, potentially like myself, we may be able to get all this attention but when it comes to the pragmatic of changing this world, we may not even have the skills to be able to do so. It is the technical people, I believe, that truly hold the key to changing this world. Yet we need to teach them how to use their instrument. Otherwise, again, it, it falls on deaf ears. You've also said that everybody already has all the information they need to be a great presenter. You know, and and when, I, when I first heard you say that, I thought, hmm, do they... And then you followed it with, we all know what's boring. We all yeah. know what's engaging. We, we can all see something and go, well, that, that, that didn't engage me because. We can all come up with a thousand reasons why something is either boring, engaging, or incredibly compelling. But we are not able to apply it to ourselves. And you blame that on one thing, that we won't watch ourselves, which goes back to your video challenge again. We refuse to watch ourselves. And for a magician, I'm guessing that watching yourself would be the only way you you would be able to improve. The only way to be able to see whether your sleight of hand has worked. Yeah. You'd have to develop yeah. that skill. And it was through the world of magic that I learned that, which then I applied to the world of communication. And, and that's the thing, like to your point, Julie, it, it, it's so important because you, even the people who are listening right now, you've sat through so many presentations, you've listened to so many podcasts internally, you've referenced what you like and what you don't like. And, and this is the most special part about it is that what you like, Julie, I may not like what I like, you may not like, which is okay, because that's what makes us unique. That's what I feel. This is why I fear going to a, a completely structured school of teaching you communication, because then at the end, we come out speaking exactly the same. Whereas when, when, I, when I try to teach people communication, I still give them the freedom of being themselves, because each one of us likes something different. And in the references in our own mind, we like different things, and that's okay. I mean, I don't want everyone to sound like me. That would be horrible. Yeah. You've, you actually distilled it down into, for those of you who are just looking for a formula here, a way, a simple, simple way of, of improving this, this one I love. You said, right, the formula for reviewing showmanship is threefold, sight, sound, and sync. So first, mm. watch, so film yourself, get someone to film you, iPhone, production quality, doesn't matter. First of all, watch it, but, um, but mute it. So just watch it without the sound. Then don't watch it, but listen to the sound. And then do both. And what, what, mm -hmm. would, you be, what would you be looking for when you do those three things? So you watch it three times. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is when you're listening to, when you're just looking at it with no sound, which is the, the sight component, what you're doing there is you're looking at your body language. Uh, you, you make notes. So you, do you have your hands in your pocket? Are you swaying? Are you pacing? 
how are your hand gestures? What are you doing with your hand gestures? Do you know the foundations to hand gestures? Make sure it doesn't come across natural as you're looking at it. Do you have any tics? Do you keep fixing your glasses? Do you keep touching your nose? What are your tics? You take it all down. And by the time, by the, in, in the process of doing this, we're isolating one thing at a time, which makes it easier. So you take a bunch of notes for sight. And then after that, you listen to the audio, auditory. Listen to yourself and apply the five foundations that you now know. How's your rate of speech? Are you sticking to one rate and it's becoming boring? How's your volume? Are you varying the volume, your tonality, your pitch? Are you pausing at all? Take a whole bunch of notes on that. Are there non-words, are there fillers? And then after that, you watch it together. And when you're watching it together, you're making sure that your voice matches your body. And, and it's very difficult for me to show this over audio, but, but imagine I, I, I had really still body language, but I was really loud. I was, I was really excessive with my voice. I'm really loud, but my body's stiff. You literally look like a serial killer. And I, I say this because I'm trying to get you to imagine in your head what that would look like. And it's ensuring that your body matches your voice. And that, that's very, very important. Otherwise, you come across, people go, oh, I feel like I don't trust this person. And, and people don't trust you normally when your words don't really match the way you're moving. And you said you worked with a CEO once who yeah. could, couldn't understand why he wasn't getting the, the level of engagement that he wanted to with this big, bold vision that he thought would be so compelling. Because often I, I feel like a lot of technical people believe that, well, the strategy will speak for itself. I don't need to speak for the strategy. And I, I believe that's where they're wrong. Unless you bring the strategy to life, a strategy is just a bunch of words. And he, he didn't believe it. He thought that, you know, no, this is, this is a solid strategy. And if they take the time to read it, they'll know that. But I'm like, no one's going to read it because you're not bringing it to life. And again, it's so easy to, to just say that, no, it, my work will speak for itself. It, it's so easy to say that. And, and, and let's say your work does speak for itself. When you learn how to use your communication skills better, you're able to amplify the inspiration. You're able to amplify the impact. Otherwise, if it's just your work, then maybe only your team sees it. But when you can amplify your instrument, that allows you to amplify your leadership even more. I, I fundamentally believe our voice is how we amplify our impact and we amplify our influence as leaders. I'm going to move into a different area now you you've you've said before that again which is something i hadn't thought about hadn't realized until studying your work you said magicians only have one gear you either are, you are either amazing or you are truly terrible and there's nothing in the middle and and it got me thinking i was like you're right you know for most people who have to stand up in front of other people you can have a moment that's not so good and you can move on and redeem it <coughs> but for a magician either the trick is incredible or it fails horribly how do you how do you deal with the, the fear of knowing that going on stage the fear of that moment where you literally which is something that we all fear i think at the core of it you literally found yeah. out they literally saw right through you <laughs> well i failed many times i failed many times so i mean as, as much as as much as i quote seems super inspirational it, oh my goodness it, it gives me nervous diarrhea thinking about the times i failed on on stage <laughs> But, but what it does is, what it does is, because we're in a world where it's you either, either amaze or, or you, you don't, it, it teaches you the importance of mastery. It teaches you the importance of rehearsal. It teaches you the importance of preparation. So, so what, what, what I hope people take away from that is, because magicians only know one or the other, we don't have any in between, average cannot exist for us. It simply just doesn't. 
And as a result of that, we truly learn the power behind mastery. I, I believe that a lot of magicians really understand the value of mastery because there are some pieces of sleight of hand that will take us hundreds of hours to perfect. And, and I love this quote by a magician named Teller. For those of you who watch Penn and Teller, Teller is the one that doesn't speak, who actually speaks in real life and who is incredibly intelligent and has a beautiful voice. He has a quote where he says, magic is just someone spending more time on something than anybody would reasonably expect. And, and the question for the audience listening now is, if you want to create magic in your line of work, and if you want to amaze and astonish as opposed to just satisfy in your line of work, the question you have to ask yourself is, what are you spending more time on than any of your customers or your team members would reasonably expect? And the underlying message there is mastery. What have you mastered? Because as we move into this new world, I, I really feel like there's lack of mastery. And as a result, there's lack of astonishment. But that's the bridge, isn't it? The bridge between, I, I hadn't got that before listening to you, but the when something becomes magical, because you can watch anyone do anything to a high level. You can watch somebody uh, sail a boat. You can watch someone play an instrument. You can watch someone do anything to a, a level of mastery and it becomes magical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I can give you two weird examples. One of them is my accountant. The other one's my financial advisor. I don't know like, if I should really watching... be endorsing accounting magic, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you shouldn't. It's a horrible career. But the thing is, when, when, I saw them, when I saw them work and I got to see what they were doing, which was going to directly affect my future, I was like, wow, I've never seen someone do it the way you've done it before. The level of precision and it, it was just like, to me, it was magical. And I, just to your point, it's no matter what profession you're in, you can create magic too. And I don't mean to be cheesy. It's why I hesitate saying it slightly vomiting in the back of my throat as I said that, but, but it's, really, it's really what I believe you can. You can achieve that astonishment with what you do as well. And you have said that, again, for those of you who are looking for just some practical guidance, that your guideline is for every minute you're on stage, which for those of you who don't take to the stage, for every minute that you are going to be witness doing what you're doing or reviewed doing what you're doing, two hours rehearsal for every minute. Yeah, we, we were, that was kind of, that was kind of banged into our heads during the world of theater. And, and even on top of this, I remember our theater coach used to always say, it's the extra one hour of unnecessary rehearsal. That's what makes you feel confident. So always do the extra hour that's not necessary. And yet, you know, mastery isn't an overnight deal. We both, we both know that. You, you took years to write your keynote. You said yourself you became a bit of a mad scientist about it. You <laughs> years of singing, years of theater training, all to perfect this one hour, one hour on stage. And yet you still weren't successful. You still, I know you still went through a period of time where you're like, this just isn't gaining any traction. Yeah. And you asked your mentor why, and he just gave you the best response. Can you walk me through that? Yeah, I, I even though I was doing all those things, I I spent all my time with magicians. I spent all my time with online coders who barely spoke a word. Who, the magicians didn't have great showmanship and the online coders refused to speak. They always send me emails. So I was in an environment where it wasn't optimal for growing as a speaker. And I, I remember Matthew, who, I'm, oh, sorry, it was David. David said to me, he goes, Vin, if you want to be a speaker, bring a speaker into your, into your environment. And, and, and the core lesson there was that you're the direct reflection of the top five people you spend time with. 
which essentially means you can choose who you become in the future by deciding who you spend time with today. I had the wrong environment. I had the wrong top five. And no matter what I did, there was just the traction was so slow. And the very moment I started spending time with more speakers, wow, they influenced me in ways I couldn't couldn't believe. And 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 a big part of the influence, Julie, as well, was was they shifted my beliefs. It's not only the change in my attributes when I spoke, but it was the shift in my belief because I'm a guy from Adelaide. You tell anybody from Australia from Adelaide, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And 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 and, and it's a lovely city, but there's just lack of opportunity and people kind of pay Adelaide out. But I was a guy from Adelaide, came from a refugee family. I don't even have a university degree. How can I speak to these companies that I'm speaking to now? And and and, and to me, I could never make that jump. I could just never make that jump in belief. And And by spending time with the right people, they not only influence your skill and ability, they influence your values and beliefs about what's possible for you. And that, that was, that was just crazy for me. They helped me believe. I just, um, I think it's important to speak to the, the tenacity that you showed that because the way that you just explained it makes it sound like, you know, you, you made a decision and, and, and lo and behold, there it became. But I know the backstory of that is that you, you decided, you, you went out, you did the same thing you did before based on the advice from your father. You went out, you found who you thought were the people that you wanted in your top five, one speaker in particular that you wanted to learn from. And you contacted him and contacted him and you got nowhere. What did you do after that? Yeah, I kind of spent all, all of my savings at the time and I bought a thousand of his books. Th- and I, Yeah, and listen, I did this because of a fundamental lesson that I learned as well, is that we live in a world now where people always ask for something. They always ask you for something. And then I, 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 I have a really firm belief that I should only ask for the favors that I deserve. And, and that's how I look at life is how can I earn his time? And there was a speaker I was going after. So I knew he wrote a book and I thought, you know what? I'm gonna buy a thousand of these books so that hopefully I'll earn his time because I know he's trying to push a message out there into the world. And I'll help him first before I ask. Give first before you try to take. And I'm a firm believer in that. And that's why I kind of went crazy. Though my wife was upset about that, but it's okay, she's not upset anymore, so it's fine. (laughs) So you bought a thousand copies of his book, took a photo of them and sent them to him. Yep. Yep. And, and you know what, we're, we're actually really good friends now. And uh, it's such a wonderful friendship. And and it's the same mentality that I take moving forward in my life is that no matter who I want to connect with, no matter who I want to learn from, what can I do to add value to you first? How can I deserve your time? How can I earn your time? One of the, one of the final things I wanted to get in with you, which relates directly to that is this concept around perspective which is another one of those lessons that we talked about that you have gained from magic and you now you now apply to other areas and that perspective is power you need to tap into other perspectives and collaborate with other people which is just what you were doing then by finding other mentors people who can see your blind spots you have this incredible way of highlighting this and i'm going to attempt to do it over audio although it is far more visual with a, a tissue experiment. <laughs> can you walk? Can you walk through the tissue experiment? Okay, so you need to imagine this. So imagine, imagine you've got someone sitting down on a chair, and you've got a scrunched up ball of tissue in your hands, and then you take the tissue in your right hand, 
as you're standing on the right in front of the audience member and you're showing them that you're going to pop it into your other hand and you're going to you're going to you're going to make them guess which hand is the tissue in and and then you get all of their focus on watching that ball of tissue and watching which hands it's going to go into and then as you raise the tissue above their head and back down into your hand instead of putting it in your hand you're throwing it over their head now they don't see it going over their head because they're so focused on well which hand is it going to go into so they're waiting for the moment you put it in your hand and as a result of that when you throw it over their head they've got no idea you come back down with nothing and then you pretend to just put something quickly in your hands if you ask them at that very point which hand is the tissue in they're going to point to one of your hands because they just didn't see the tissue go above their head because they were so focused on what you were telling them to focus on and that's when i show them well there's nothing in my hand and then the person on stage generally is like oh my goodness you're amazing and i, I tell them well no no because if you if you think about it what 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 is magic like you said earlier julie magic is just a problem you can't solve and the reason why the person on stage couldn't solve it was because they're looking at it from their point of view but then when i ask the audience the audience is all laughing now because they saw it thrown over her head but to her it's the person on stage it's so impossible it's like she doesn't even know it's over her head she goes no how how does he do this is incredible this is crazy this is this is impossible but what seems impossible to one person people from a different point of view is such a simple problem to solve and then I, I pose this to the audience by asking how many problems in your life do you think are impossible they're only impossible because you can't solve them because you've fallen victim to a silent mentality they're only impossible because you're looking at it from one point of view and this is this is what i fundamentally believe in it's that if people work together more then there's no problem we cannot solve there's no opportunity we cannot seize it's often because of human nature that we keep falling back to that silent mentality and look at things only from one one point of view and by looking at it from one point of view we limit what we believe is possible for us in the future we all do this i do this i do this still i do this still and it's just continually remember remembering that every time you feel like something impossible is happening that there's a problem you can't solve just think to yourself is it impossible because i'm just looking at it from my point of view have you asked 20 people have you asked others from different industries because other people can see things in you you cannot see in yourself it goes back to that 500 soldiers again doesn't it absolutely stand on the shoulders of giants isaac newton yep now all of this all of this mastery all of these all of these perspectives all those years it took you to perfect your craft both both the performance aspect of it and the technical presentation aspect of it while you're getting good at all of that as as you said with the with the email you got from the CEO there will be negative feedback you will get negative Absolutely. feedback and oh, yeah. your mum helped you i believe with this with with one single talking to yeah she's pretty good <laughs> so what did she say i remember her telling me she said uh i got got bullied and i came home and this is when i was a little bit younger when i was about probably 11 and i got just got bullied a lot i was a bit of a chubby kid and kids are pretty savage so i i came home and i was like uh, you know mom just not feeling good getting bullied and my mom shares with me this story and i mean for a kid to tell their mom that they're being bullied i think i think like it was pretty bad so i asked for help and she had this one one perfect story she goes she she picks this thing out of her pocket it was, i think at the time it was just like this tissue and she goes if i tried to give you this present and you don't want this present son who does the present belong to not said my mom not giving me presents mom they're, they're teasing me you're not getting the point 
And she would always say, no, 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 you stupid boy. <laughs> if, if I give you this, if I want to give you this present and you don't want it, answer the question, who does this present belong to? And I would say to her, well, well if you're giving me the present, I don't want it. Well, it, it's yours. It's not mine. And then she just revealed to me that she goes, tomorrow when you go to school, when those boys give you the gift of negativity and you don't want it, who takes it home? And it's they do. Often I feel like we all feel like in life that anybody who gives us a negative gift, we must accept it. No, no, you don't have to accept it. You don't have to accept it. All that negative energy, all that, all those negative word choices that they choose, let them take it home and they can have it for dinner with their family instead. You don't have to let it affect you. You don't have to take it home with you. And just a little simple thing my mom used to say to me is just tell them no thank you. And in your mind, that's you not accepting their gift. <laughs> and it, it didn't work that well because when I said no thank you, they beat me up. But metaphorically, it's a wonderful lesson. <laughs> metaphorically, it's a, I think it's a perfect lesson because we have to train to think mentally and, and say, it, say, it, say it with your inside voice, not your outside voice. Yeah, that's also another detail mum left out. So. You... Sorry, I'm still laughing at that. Meta- yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, an yeah, it's, it's a little bit sad. It's like a great metaphor with a, a bit of a sad ending. But, uh, <laughs> and look where you are now. So yeah, <laughs> you you have you've said that magic lives in the unknown, and it it got me thinking. You know, learning about your journey, you you could obviously are able to get quite ob- obsessive about your practice, get quite obsessive about learning which is the opposite of living in the unknown. Have you ever struggled with that, leaving room in your life for the unknown? Definitely, 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 definitely. And, you know, I think the, you, I, I'm assuming you got that quote from a, work, a workshop that I did where I, I don't tell any of my students what's about to come. I don't tell any of my participants who come to a workshop what's going to happen because that's where the magic lives. And, and this is what people don't understand. It's quite sad for magicians, but the magic dies for a lot of magicians because we know how it's all done. And because of how we know, we know most things, because we know how most things are done, there's very little wonder and astonishment in a magician's life. There really is. It's, it's truly quite tragic when you think about it, because to become a magician means you've got to give up a sense of wonder. There are still many other senses of wonder in life, but the sense of wonder in magic, it, it's truly gone. And in understanding the value of the unknown, in, in understanding that magic lives in the unknown, I always ask my students to never ask me what's going to happen in class because that's where the most wonderful experiences happen. Even though I try to craft it for them, it's very difficult for me because I can't find magic that I can't explain anymore. And, and magic gives you this extremely skeptical mind that is very hard to break out of which is a warning to all people who want to become magicians, because it really does. We must find the answer. And I have that problem in my head that when I see something that I don't understand, I have to work it out. Otherwise I can't sleep. I have to know how it's done, which is, which is, yeah, which is a bit interesting. A curse as as well as a gift. Truly, I would say, yeah, it, it can be a curse. It can be because, and this, this is why, I think there's a line that's very relevant to magicians is that magicians are addicted to secrets. We're addicted to secrets. We'll buy, I'll buy all the magic tricks that are out there, but I, I buy them because I just need to know how it's done. So it leads you down this path of addiction to secrets, which is, yeah, which is 
just as bad as my wife and her shoes. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Your theatre coach once said to you that talent has little to do with it. We must reconsider what we mean by talent. And that's leading on to the idea that there is no such thing as X factor, which I think is just a really important point to make. And again, it's one of those stories that keeps people small. That person has charisma. That person has the X factor. I have neither. You know, yeah. if it's... And, 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 no, I just wanted to say, and remember when you say that, we say that because then we can use that as an excuse not to try. We've, we've, we've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop saying, I can't do it because I don't have that or I don't have this. You're, you're using that as an excuse not to try and you're using that to make yourself feel better. You rather tell yourself the truth and, and be truthful with yourself and say that I'm not going to do it because I'm being lazy. I'm not going to do it because, again, we insert excuse because at the end of the day, you can, I believe it. You just don't have the right perspective yet. You just don't have the right soldiers yet. You just don't have the right environment yet. That's all. It's not a, it's not a question of capability. And so there's no such thing, well, if talent has little to do with it, which by all the science it appears, all the science that I have studied and the neuroscientists that I have spoken to, it appears that it, it does have little to do with it. And there is no such thing as X factor. Then what is it? And what you're referring to is a quote by Viola Spoolin, which is one of the most influential theatre kind of teachers out there who, who's unfortunately no longer with us. However, Viola has a wonderful quote where she says, we must reconsider what is talent. And talent is someone's capacity to experience. And, and, and let, me, let me give you context for this, because I use this quote by Viola Spoolin as my North Star when I teach. And because I teach communication, a lot of people have that kind of stigma of saying, oh, there's no way I could ever speak like that, Vin. And, and it's just me going, no, you're wrong. It's, you can. And, and this is why. It's because in this workshop, this is what I say, is that I say, I'm not going to teach you anything. My job as a teacher is not to teach you. My job as a teacher is to create the experience and the environment. And it is from the environment and from the experiences that teach you everything you need to know. And talent and ta or talented behavior is really your capacity to allow yourself to experience. And if you open yourself up to the experiences that as a teacher I will create, then your capacity to experience, that's, that, that's what we're after, which is vulnerability. You being willing to put your shields down, your armor down, and you being willing to be vulnerable. And in those vulnerable moments, that experience that we create together, it's gonna to teach you everything you need to know. Now, out of context and not being in the class with me, this might sound a bit strange, but again, the focus is on great teachers don't stand up there and just talk at you. They might as well give you a PDF and you can read it later at home. Great teachers craft an experience for you. And remember, when they craft that experience, it's about you opening yourself up to experiencing, experiencing it. And if you do that, that's what it's all about. Not about, oh, do I have innate talent or don't I? No, it's, it's just the capacity to experience. And I love that as a definition of X Factor. So different from the definition that we traditionally have, which is all X Factor is, is somebody who can channel their experiences for you. Yeah. You know, when you watch somebody what? and they are compelling, they're not necessarily loud, they're not necessarily talented, they're not necessarily anything that you would truly define. 
it's just someone who has opened themselves up enough to channel an experience so fully that it captures mm. your complete attention. Absolutely. And you will learn so much more from that experience than you will me reading to you a slide. All right. My final question. My final question is a question that I, that I usually close every interview with. And, and it's this, and it's always interesting putting this question to somebody that speaks as frequently as you do. If, if I could give you this stage and in front of you, and a microphone, and in front of you I could put every single person that you would ever want to influence, what's the one thing, the one thing that you would want them to know? You must learn how to use your instrument. All of us in life were born with the most complex instrument in this world. You must learn how to use it. School will not teach you how to use it. University will not teach you how to use it. Your job, your career path will not teach you how to play this instrument. Yet this is the instrument that if you learn how to play, this is the instrument that is going to be the tide that lifts all boats. It affects every area of your life. Learn how to play beautifully. So many people get to the end of their lives, have so much music still in them, never end up playing it. Don't die with your music still in you. Learn how to play your instrument. Thank you so much, Vin Jiang. I, I, Pleasure. I knew that magic and influence were closely intertwined, but you've just brought a depth to it that I couldn't even have imagined. So thank you. No pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, if you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, juliemasters.com. Pop in your email address. It is free. We will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work. It's called the Influencer Code. It's not long, but it is full of value. So download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business. Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.